Hi, everyone. I'm uh, very excited today to have Dr. Stuart McGill as a guest. Uh, Dr. McGill is going to answer some questions related to back health and provide um, just some quick tips on how to train your back and core effectively. Uh, Dr. McGill is a professor of spine biomechanics at the University of Waterloo in Waterloo, Ontario. Uh, Dr. McGill has written two books in the numerous journal papers. Um, his books include Low Back Disorders, Evidence-Based Prevention and Rehabilitation, and Ultimate Back Fitness and Performance. Uh, Dr. McGill's books are available for purchase on his website at backfitpro.com. Uh, the first question, uh, Dr. McGill, uh, people often consider the core to be just the abs. Can you explain why this approach to core conditioning is flawed? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> it's a long question. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's a huge question, actually. Um, it, let me first start talking about uh, performance enhancement, um, but you cannot divorce that from injury prevention. Uh, in order, it doesn't really matter what activity you uh, measure people performing. The hips really dominate. They're the center of power production. Uh, but in order for the hips to create power and transfer it through the linkage, uh, the, the torso has to be stiffened. Uh, you can imagine if a rugby player or a football player was running along, they planted their foot externally rotated and cut to change direction, if you know what I mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. If at that time uh, of the cut, their pelvis um, dropped down into the ground on the non-supporting side and their spine would bend, that's called an energy leak or a loss of uh, power production. So the hips were creating the power, but it just went into bending the spine rather than to propel the body. So there's an example where the core, uh, in that case, would be so much more than the abdominals. Probably the most dominant stiffening mechanism there would have been quadratus lumborum, together with muscles of the abdominal wall and a little bit of psoas and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So when you get uh, or expand the conversation to include function, um, you really have to consider muscles like quadratus lumborum, uh, latissimus dorsi, uh, the full erector spinae. They all work together with the abdominals to create this stiffness. Um, we call it in Latin a punctum fixum, a fixed point. And if you can fixate the lower core, it unleashes the power out of the hips to do uh, to, to optimize uh, performance. I should also add that uh, that also protects the back as well. If mm -hmm. the back is stiffened into its neutral position, you can think of sort of a linebacker's ready position. If you can imagine that, the hips are flexed, the spine is kept in the neutral posture. Uh, we've measured that is the most resilient posture for the spine. It can take much more loading than if it gets into a deviated posture. So th that's only the beginning of the story. Yeah. But it gives you two different perspectives on why uh, the core, uh, as far as training goes, in any case, is far much more than the uh, the abdominals. Okay. Perfect. Uh, we'll go on to the, the next question. Uh, in today's society, people are sitting more than ever. Uh, what advice can you provide with regards to workstations and prolonged sitting? 
Um, I also mentioned here, do you recommend um, sitting on Swiss balls or integrating standing workstations? And I'll, uh, I'll let you take it from there. Okay. Well, we'll start again based on the scientific mechanism. Um, we've never been able to initiate damage uh, to people's backs from sitting. But having said that, in today's society, not only do we sit and, and, and flex our spine, which means bending it forward, which, which happens in a sitting posture, but uh, you just watch people now uh, on their Blackberries and cell phones that are looking down, continually flexing their spine Absolutely. over and over and over again. Um, that initiates uh, damage in the annulus of the disc. It is not a ball and socket joint, and you can't treat it like a ball and socket joint. Um, you, it only uh, has so many uh, abilities to, to, to bend that way. So if you initiate the damage through that mechanism and then you sit at the computer, uh, the stresses on the disc will lead to disc bulges. That's exactly how we create them in uh, in our laboratory. So okay. the, the, the answer to your question now with sitting, now we understand the mechanism, is you have to avoid uh, prolonged flexion. Um, as you may be aware, uh, we're uh, associated with the, the those lumbar pillows that we inflate uh, and put them in the low back, and we've measured that helps to position the spine back into its more resilient posture, and in many people takes the uh, stresses out of the disc and therefore the pain. Um, it also does other things as well in that it, it creates training capacity. You can imagine someone coming to... Uh, work with someone like yourself, for example, you're going to give them a nice exercise program, but they've sat in their car for 45 minutes getting to you. Uh, in that time, they've hurt the discs of their back by allowing the discs to flex. So preserving that curve builds training capacity. Okay. The, the final part of your question uh, is uh, to do with the balls and standing in an attempt to avoid that prolonged flexion. Both are great ideas. Uh, they really help some people. Um, I can tell you sitting on Swiss balls, uh, we've measured this as well. I'm not just hand-waving here. I, I have okay. the, the muscle activation data on this. When you sit on a Swiss ball, um, you do use a lot more muscle activity. But generally speaking, you're, you're, you're torso is positioned more upright and the neutral curves are maintained. The cost, though, is quite high in terms of muscle activity. So, so you're you using get, lots of other muscles uh, you, in addition to just keeping that neutral position. Absolutely. So it wears yeah. you out. It's, it's yeah. not a relaxing activity <laughs> anymore. So the, my suggestion there is if you're going to sit on a Swiss ball, alternate between a traditional chair and uh, a Swiss ball. You might want to sit on the Swiss ball for 10 minutes to give yourself a break, but you will find sitting on it all day will wear you out. Yeah. Now, having said that, I've been asked to be an expert witness in uh, legal cases. I can think of a, at least three cases off the top of my head where um, people have rolled off the ball one person uh, rolled off the ball and had quite uh, substantial neurological damage. I think they hit themselves on a desk as they fell. Oh, wow. And uh, someone else tore the rotator cuff in their shoulder rolling off the ball as well. So 
You know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, for sure. And uh, certainly the sit-stand stations, uh, they will help a lot of people, particularly those who have disc bulges or discogenic uh, back pain. Uh, They find relief by frequent posture change. That's that's quite a nice strategy. So those are both good suggestions that you've made. Okay. Uh, We're going to the next question here. Uh, In your research uh, and previous interviews, I've heard you say a couple times that the spinal discs only have so many numbers of bends before they damage. Uh, What does this mean as it relates to back health? Well, I can illustrate the concept this way. Say you hit a wire coat hanger and you, you didn't have wire cutters, but you needed to break it. What you would do is bend it back and forth at a single spot, and slowly the metal would fatigue, and then it would break on the hundredth repetition of bend. You understand what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah, you yeah. keep bending it and bending it, and then all of a sudden you get a weak spot there, and, and it'll, it'll, it'll give break. at some point. Exactly. So you're repeating the stress-strain reversals, is what an engineer would say, or a material science person. Okay. Well, that's exa- because your discs are not ball and sockets, you can consider them more like the wire uh, or a beam. And uh, if you keep on bending them, they will fatigue, and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll break, uh, literally. So if you keep doing sit-ups, for example, over and over and over again, you will fatigue the weakest link uh, in the in the in the beam or or a particular uh, disc, and uh, it, it'll it'll cause you grief. Okay, um, now I yeah now I can say that if you we, we do mobilize people's backs on occasion those who need mobilizing, um, but we do it with no load. Uh, an example there would be on all fours, on your hands and knees, and you do the cat camel, just humping your back up into flexion and then dropping it down into extension and cycling back and forth. That's yeah, a common very, move. Sort of, I think in yoga it's quite common, actually, that, that stretcher movement as well. Well, there's a problem with that, Mark, and it's they push the end range in yoga, which okay. is not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking okay. about that motion but we would never use it as a stretch where you push the end range. That's causing the stress again that I'm I'm Keeping it a lot closer to neutral then? Well, no, it's it's more cycling it back and forth, but don't push hard into the end range. And you're never going to the pain zone if someone has pain. So it's a nice mobilizing back and forth. So the concept there is you can move those discs if the load is very low. But if the load is high, you better not move them. So now okay. we get into people who are doing squats and cleans and whatnot, and they have slight movement flaws in, in, in as much as when they drop back into the hole or reach the bottom of the squat, their spine bends under load. That can be tremendously damaging because the load is so high. So you can move your back when there's no load, but when you do have load, don't. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> there's, there's, that's, that's the summary of that uh, principle. Um, but how I have have created the evidence to show that you only have so many bends in your back. The higher the load, the fewer the bends. Perfect. Does that um, all make okay. sense? Um, sorry, do you have anything else to add there? Or? No, I was just saying, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Totally makes sense. Uh, I think that'll, that'll help a lot of people who listen to this. Um, uh, next question, what are the latest techniques for training the backs of athletes? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, probably, that's probably a massive question, but if there's any sort of 
particular ones that come to to mind right now that you that you're working on with any athletes or well yeah that's a huge question that's true and 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 in a way there's nothing new and in another way there's quite a, a number of new things there's nothing new in the fact that the spine doesn't change it's a biological system and it follows the same laws um really uh you have to match the best progressive exercises to the individual, and you can't get away from that. So that implies each person needs an assessment to figure out what causes their pain, if they have pain at all, eliminate the pain mechanism, build on the variables that need shoring up, whatever it happens to be. Maybe they need more hip mobility to spare their back, so you work on that. Maybe they're too strong in their back and they need more endurance, so they don't break form when they're performing uh, high exertion uh, or high load uh, uh, training exercises, or it might be an occupational task. But h having said all of that, th those are universal principles. Nothing changes there. Okay. But uh, we have had some nice discoveries in the last uh, couple of years. Um, one might be, uh, well, a couple of years ago, we measured some of these uh, world-class strongmen. You, you know those athletes? You, you see them on TV shows like The World's Strongest Man and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely, they, yeah. Yeah, they, they carry beer kegs and pick <laughs> up back ends of cars and lift logs. Some logs. strong dudes. Yeah. Um, well, what we learned from them, uh, we were measuring uh, their muscle activation profiles and using our models to figure out their, their joint loads and whatnot. What we, it's very clever, the a variety of tasks that the strong men do. In other words, if you have a weakness in your body, they will find it. Uh, for example, uh, quite often grip strength is a weakness of a strong man or woman who trains on barbells and dumbbells. Mm -hmm. They're used to picking up small diameter bars, like an Olympic bar. But if you gave them a large object to, grab, to, to grip and, and manipulate and bend and steer, or something like that, like picking up an atlas stone, their strength is out of balance. So I, I learned and to appreciate creating the balance of strength and ability through the body, and doing more bench press won't help them because they're already strong there, to put that strength into uh, the football field or the hockey rink or the bobsleigh run or whatever. It's a matter of, of really shoring up the weak link. So grip uh, is extremely important, uh, but we also found that carrying things, carrying mm -hmm. things asymmetrically, like the heavy suitcase carry, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I've read something in your research as well. You talk about you know, maybe carrying a kettlebell in one hand or something, and, and it forces you kind of to tighten up that your your core exactly. in order to, to not bend over, basically, and give way to all the weight. Yeah, think of how many times in the weight room, for example, you uh, stand on one leg and ask your body to support load. It's very, very rare. And yet, that is the defining strength of so many tasks. You know, imagine being on the football field, and you've got to change direction quickly. I've already given you that example. You might have three people on your back trying to pull you down, and yep. yet you still have to stand on one leg and drive yeah, if you're making a cut, the you've got a, Yeah, you've got that one leg to drive off of. Yes, um, but we measured that was the missing strength in a lot of strong men, too. That's mm -hmm. what causes 
the failure of them carrying a suitcase or, or, or an object or a beer keg or whatever it is along distance. It's that lateral strength. So once again, we get back to quadratus lumborum and how many people train that. Well, I can assure you now that the, 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 the athletes that uh, I uh, consult with very much uh, consider that mechanism. So there, there's another example. And, uh, oh, we were working with some top uh, UFC fighters. Uh, do, do you know what they, they are, the, the mixed martial arts? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's quite a huge thing, I know, on, uh, on TV these days. Right. Um, well, what I learned from working with them is that their ability to kick and strike quickly uh, isn't a matter of strength as much as it's a matter of allow of of, of training muscles to contract very quickly and then relax very quickly. So you could imagine if if you were going to kick high as if you were going to kick an opponent, uh, I mean, I hate to say this, but in the head, <laughs> then uh, we, we measured they have a pulse of stiffness and force through their body to initiate the motion, and then they must relax, because if they kept the muscles forceful, the muscles are stiff and slow. So they have to mm -hmm. relax the muscles as the foot increases its closing velocity from the ground to your head, so to speak, or to the opponent's head. Yes. Um, and then at the instant of impact, they have another pulse through their body. So at that instant, they're not loose anymore, but they're very tight and stiffened. So that in actual fact, if the fighter weighs, say, 177 pounds, which is the top of the weight category, yep. um, then uh, they are hitting, they've turned their body to stone, or they create what we call effective mass. So they're hitting you with the full weight of their body at that instant. Okay. So do you yeah. see how it's a double pulse? Absolutely. It's a pulse to initiate the movement, then uh, you relax to create speed, and then pulse. So to create that double pulse means that you have to activate muscles extremely quickly and then relax them to allow the pulse and speed, the middle section, the relaxation phase, to occur. How many great trainers are training rate of muscle contraction and rate of muscle relaxation, mm -hmm. and yet and it's the same thing when I measure the great uh, uh, distance hitters in, in golf. They're not necessarily strong people, but they have this wonderful gift of creating a pulse, an on-off, at the instant that the club hits the, uh, the, 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 the golf ball. And it's the same with the great baseball hitters as well. Mm -hmm. Somehow they've created this neurology to create the pulses. So there's two... Uh, nice little discoveries that if you can get them right, you'll really enhance athleticism. And uh, at the end of the day, who wins is not the one who has the highest bench press. Who wins is the one who can steer their strength, eliminate the energy leaks throughout their body, and can pulse muscles on and off very quickly. Gotcha. Yeah, so those are the critical determinants to train. Oh, those are great. Um, next question here, uh, are there any particular exercises you recommend to increase spinal stability or, or and athleticism? Um, and maybe just give one or two. Um, and I know I've also put here, is there any to avoid? Um, and one that comes to mind off the bat is you know, you're talking about doing those traditional sit-ups where you're, you're constantly you know, flexing the spine. Well, yeah, uh, that's one thing that uh, we've done with all our uh, UFC fighters is to uh, show them that, you know, it's, it's martial arts tradition to do thousands of sit-ups. Uh, 
but so many of them develop uh, intolerance to flexion because of the numbers of bends that they create. But the reason they do it, Mark, is to create an armor. They have to create an abdominal and chest armor of heavy muscle so that mm-hmm. they can withstand the kicks and the punches. And I've measured these these punches. Some of them are well over a ton of peak force when they hit you. So you can imagine, you know, that that would lacerate your liver or <laughs> damage your so spleen in an average person. So in some respect, uh, that's... That, that muscle they're adding through those maybe traditional sit-ups is acting as some yeah, protective equipment, as you say. That's exactly what it is, first and foremost. Absolutely. People don't realize that. So they, they have to create the armor. Um, but having said that, you can do it through sit-ups, and uh, a few lucky ones will survive, and their backs will be able to take it. But, you know, they need all the spine flexion for the jiu-jitsu they do and, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So now we have a conundrum. How do you build the armor? Well, the best way we've found is an exercise called stir the Thank you. Please stand by.